Dave. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series in Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. It's on page 1080 uh, in the Pew Bibles. And the Alphas can be dismissed. Our scripture reading will start with just that first section. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are, these, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But the others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. We'll stop there. Father, we thank you for this word. And some of us might have questions. Some of us might be perplexed. Some of us might be amazed. Um, and so as we dive into this text, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you show us more of who you are and what you've done that we might worship and follow and love you? God, would you speak through me? Help us to all hear your voice. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a reason why some pastors choose to not preach expositionally through consecutive verses in the Bible, book by book. You might be thinking of that this morning. The main reason why that is the case is because there's difficult texts. There's hard passages. There's descriptions of things that are hard to understand in the Scripture. There's also difficult things that the Scripture calls us to that some pastors like to avoid. And so we preach through books of the Bible so that we are forced to handle some of the challenging texts. Today we have a description of what took place in the early church. As the church obeyed, they went to Jerusalem. They were waiting in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. On Wednesday evenings, we've been surveying Scripture. We've been looking at the, the person of the Holy Spirit to help us develop a robust understanding of who He is. And we need all of Scripture to do that. And today, we will have a snapshot of what we see in the book of Acts to help us to develop our theology of the person of the Holy Spirit. And on Wednesday, we'll look at another section of Scripture. We meet at 6.30 at our house. We'd love for you to join if you haven't been able to. We won't have a complete understanding of the Holy Spirit today. 
just based on this text. But we will learn some more. By the end of the series, I think we will have an even more robust, thorough understanding of the Spirit. But we still need to remember we have all of Scripture to guide and lead and help us to understand who He is. And so this morning, we will, in our text, focus on four things. We'll just see them as the text progresses. We have a promise, we have some prophecy, we have some preaching, and as a good Baptist, we have a petition. The first section describes what I just read, the promise that Jesus gave to the disciples to send the Spirit upon them. And so describing what took place, the disciples had gathered together in this upper room. They had confirmed Matthias as a replacement of Judas to re symbolically restore the 12 disciples. Uh, Apostles representing the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. And we see this promise that Jesus gave to the church come true, continuing the restoration of God's people. Chrysostom, he's an early church father, he said this, that the Gospels are a history of what Christ did and said, but Acts is what the other comforter, the Holy Spirit, said and did in the life of and ministry of the church. And we must remember that this promise is about God. It is not about the disciples because God keeps his word, right? We see that in the scriptures. And so in this same upper room, they're celebrating Pentecost. It's another Jewish festival in between the festivals of Passover and Tabernacles as we saw in the Gospel of John. And suddenly a mighty noise, a rushing wind fills the room. Our Wednesday study reminded us that the Greek word and the Hebrew word uh, for spirit are both interchangeable, and they were what we call an onomatopoeia, right? The definition of the word comes in the sound of the word, like bark. Well, the Hebrew and Greek word are uh, terms that represent what the sound of a wind or the sound of force coming out of one's mouth. And Luke describes this as divided tongues resting upon the disciples as fire. If you've read some kids' Bibles, you'll also see illustrations. You get this kind of like fire emoji over the head of the people in this scene. But this is another example of the divine focus, the focus on God in this passage where fire indicates in Scripture frequently God's presence. You're, you're familiar with some of these, right? When Moses met God in the wilderness, there was a burning bush. Or when Israel left Egypt, there was a pillar of fire that led them through the night. And fire, as we're all familiar, right, burns indiscriminately. When we light a brush pile, right? It doesn't just pick certain parts, unless they're wet, but it typically burns the whole thing. And so, too, the Spirit is indiscriminate on who He dwells upon of God's people. Contrary to the ministry of John the Baptist that we see in the Gospels or in some of the Old Testament leaders, the Spirit in the New Covenant is for all believers. No longer is it for artisans and kings and prophets and priests. The Spirit is for everyone who believes the Gospel. The Spirit is for all Christians. 
And so as the Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism in visible form, we know the story of a dove. Here the Spirit descends upon the church in a visible form, in this form of fire. And the Spirit's presence is going to be, as we especially survey this book of Acts, the normal anointing for all of God's people moving forward. And when Israel would have these festivals of Pentecost, it's this festival that they're having right now, scholars believe that upwards of a million people would return to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. This small city in our minds uh, would swell to over a million people from all over the Mediterranean world. Some of them were exiled back to Assyria and to Babylon, and they would come back because they just stayed in the areas that they were uh, living in, or some of them probably moved away, but they would come back to celebrate the festivals that God had called his people to do. It's kind of like Royalton's Old Home Day, right? They would all come back to celebrate together. And as the Spirit rested on these Christians, the folks that were returning to Jerusalem, it wasn't moans or groans. What they heard is the native tongues from the places that they lived being spoken by people who should not be able to hear and understand or speak those languages. These are real tongues. We get a list of them, right? It's kind of like someone coming here this morning or one of us who doesn't know French or German or Spanish or Southerner to, to speak to us and we're like, oh, I know that language. And the observing crowd, we see they have two responses. First, they were astonished. They didn't know how this is possible. These Galileans, how do they speak these languages? It's like maybe the Rattans would be visiting here from Uganda and one of you would speak up in the language that they, I wrote it down, Bantu. Is one of the main languages in Uganda. It would be like odd, right? All of us would be fairly astonished if that took place. And then they get a list, as Luke recounts, of what was taking place of all these people from north and south and east and west, all centering upon the city of Jerusalem. The birthing of this new, young, fledgling church the restoration of God's people. The nations are present because soon they will leave Jerusalem and they will go to the ends of the earth. And Acts is showing us that the church is to be multicultural, even in Jerusalem, as they welcome in the nations, as they get prepared to go to the ends of the earth. And what we see is a restoration of the curse of Babel. We learn about this in Genesis chapter 11, where the people of God decided to build a tower to basically functionally look towards them getting to heaven on their own accord. And the language in Genesis 11 says that the people were of one language, as the baby speaks the language of their parents, right, we rejoice because language gives us identity. It shows us who we are part of. But as a consequence of Babel, God confused their language because God is God and no one else is to be or act like God. But here, the Spirit is restoring that which was broken. 
And they had two responses. One was amazement and astonishment. You see in the text, it's mentioned multiple times. The other is mocking. These people are drunk with new wine. Not everyone understood the promise. Not everyone was there, right, when Jesus shared with him that I will send the Holy Spirit to be upon you. So they needed an explanation of the prophecy, and that's where we get our second point. The first was, we see the promise, and Peter stands up in verse 14, and he reminds them of the prophecy, what God said would happen. Look at me, or look not at me, look at the text in verse 14 in this next section. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's about 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They aren't drunk, but most importantly, God promised, God prophesied, God said that these events would take place. And he's speaking to the Jews who are asking questions, and he responds to their questions with the scripture that the Jews would be familiar with, right? They're there here celebrating. These are faithful men and women who are coming back to Jerusalem to celebrate and obey God's word, and they're saying, hey, pay attention because God's word says that this will take place. And so he takes them to a small Old Testament book, Joel. The prophet Joel describing the kingdom's arrival and he also shows what is still to come. Just yesterday in this upper room they were waiting. Today as we see in the scripture things quickly change. And Peter leverages the opportunity to communicate what God's word says because God's word is truth. That the Messiah has come, the kingdom is here. And so Peter, he again, he doesn't speak his own words because that gets him into trouble oftentimes, but he speaks of God's word. He allows the Bible to speak. Not everything in the text, though, that Joel is talking about is taking place, right? The moon's not turned to blood. Those scary things that are towards the end of that passage are not taking place here. But Peter does see that a new age has arrived. And it's not yet fully realized. It's like fall foliage. Contrary to what you prepared for today, fall is here, even though it feels like summer this coming week. But it's not yet peak, right? We all know that. This week will feel like summer. And Joel is staring at, the picture this, like the foliage, like the tourists that prepared to come up here, they were not prepared really well because they came last week and they're like, oh, it looks great. And they're like, it looks better in a couple more weeks. But peak foliage is still coming, right? 
The new age is in sight. It is happening, but it's not yet complete. And oftentimes, right, we don't know it's peak foliage until the day after. So these folks, they're seeing some of it, but they don't quite see all of it. And in Joel's day, the context is in the midst of a severe famine, that God is disciplining his people because they've been disobedient. And Joel wants the people of God to repent, that there will be a promised restoration, that they are to wait for the Holy Spirit, even in Joel's days, for all of Israel. And Joel says the day is coming, so prepare your hearts, be ready. And Peter leveraged that and says, that day is here, right now. Peter sees the messianic age, the time of Jesus, the Messiah that would come, dawning at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus is living. And the last days of God's saving history are right here in the text. But the ominous signs that we talked about in 19 to 21, they're not taking place yet in the text. That's the final consummation that both reference still what is to come. It's a warning for all people to think about what they're hearing because time will run out before we can actually repent. That we can respond to the call of God and His Word to respond, as we'll see soon, in belief and Repentance, And Peter gives them the hope. The Joel had given them a hope in verse 32. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These amazing promises have arrived, displayed in these tongues of fire. Peter directs them to God's word, to the prophecies in God's word, but there's also a judgment that is coming. You might be thinking like, Aaron, I wanted to hear about the tongues. When are we going to hear about the tongues? Peter doesn't focus on the tongues. Peter focuses on the prophecies. So that's why I'm focusing on the prophecies. This passage is about the faithfulness of God to call and save a people for himself. So it's like this. Joel knows that there's a great ski resort in this area. It's kind of like that direction. He sees, and he goes over the hill. It's like twin farms, right? If you can afford to ski there, it's there, but it's not that great. Peter, on the other hand, he sees a little bit further over another hill. And I know it's not all in a straight line, but keep going and you get to Suicide Six. It's got a few more runs. It's a little bit better, but... It's not the best. But in the age to come, we see a little bit further. We see the beast of the east. We see Killington. It, 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 right? It's not in a straight line, but it's kind of that direction. It's what is hoped for. Although, Twin Farms is fine. Suicide Six is a little bit better. Killington is what they were looking at. It's kind of seeing over peaks of a mountain. And they were seeing glimpses. And you can't always see what's over the horizon. The coming day of the Lord is better than Joel and Peter could describe. But both in their own day could see the prophecy coming true. Does that make sense? 
the promise has arrived. The prophecy pointed to this. And now Peter, he'll use an opportunity to keep going deeper. Something better is here to come. And so he takes that warning in Joel to preach a sermon. That's our third point. Look in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is calling those in the hearing of his voice to pay attention. He combines a clear affirmation of God's sovereign control over everything in the world, people and events, the consequences of evil deeds, and he points them all, look to Jesus. Peter shares the gospel, like we do here each Sunday, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Consider verse 22, he talks about Jesus' life. What he did and what he said is of utmost importance. The second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, added to his divinity humanity by taking on flesh and living a perfect life, a life we could never live. In verse 23, he talks about Jesus' death, dying a death that we deserved to die. His perfect life substituted for our sinful life. Dying as a man in our place for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sin because God must justly punish sin or he wouldn't be God. And fully God, he can satisfy the wrath of God not only for all of my sin and all of your sin, but all those who would believe the gospel, all Christians sin. And then verse 24, the resurrection. 
crucified on Good Friday, he raises on Easter Sunday, defeating one of our greatest enemies of death, which we inherit as a consequence of our sin. You see the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get to celebrate that in communion. We will do that soon, where Jesus' body is given for us that we celebrate in the bread, where his blood is shed for us that we celebrate in the cups, symbolizing the work of Jesus on our behalf in the gospel. And Peter preaches. This is all happening. The tongues, these prophecies, these promises that we rest on so that we might know God. It's not about the tongues. It's about calling upon the name of the Lord. It's about believing the gospel. It's about the salvation that is available to all in the hearing of these words. In quoting Psalm 16, Peter says, God didn't abandon David to death. And since Jesus is the only descendant of David who is presently alive, David must have been speaking of the promised Messiah. Verse 29, Peter reminds the hearers that David's tomb is in Jerusalem. You can go and see it. You could go see it even this day. David's bones are in it. But Jesus' grave, on the other hand, is empty. God's promises come true and everything points to Jesus. And verse 32 reminds us that we are witnesses to this. The disciples' mission, right? Going back to Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The disciples' mission is to carry the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus sits exalted, we see in verse 33, the promise that he would sit at the right hand of the Father, that he would send the promised Holy Spirit, Christ exalted and reigning and ruling in heaven at the Father's right side, that the authority has now been given to the Son to send the Spirit to dwell on his people, and it's happening. The Spirit is here. He is again pointing to this Trinitarian task that we saw a couple weeks ago. And unfortunately, maybe for some of us, this passage isn't about the tongues. Acts 2, verses 1 to 41, describes God's abundant mercy and grace towards sinners like you and I. He's doing what he said he would do. Friends, let's not miss that. This passage is about God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit doing what he said he would do. The promise has come, the prophecy has been re uh, referenced, and the preaching by Peter is bold. Jesus is Lord and Christ. He's the promised Messiah who delivers God's people from their oppression, not from the Romans, but Satan's sin and death. And that's where Peter finally finishes with a petition. Verse 36, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words, many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were cut to the heart. This word refers to a feeling of piercing, being taken aback, struck to rouse one attention. I mean, some of you grew up in a schoolhouse where that yardstick would get your attention. It signifies shock. Their confusion has transformed back to amazement. And they wonder how great God is and what they should do in light of it. And Peter has a simple point, our final point of petition, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Sinners need to repent and turn from their sin. They need to believe that Jesus is the substitute for our sin. They need to be baptized to join the community of God's people and say, I'm one of you and receive the Spirit as a result of our belief. And belief implies repentance, but it also implies, as we see in the text, baptism. Faith in Jesus Christ means believing that what God says he will do when he says he will save his people from their sins, that he will save his people from their sins by believing the gospel. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself, God himself, the promised comforter dwells in us as believers by just simply believing. And I think Peter's model of evangelism is an easy model to emulate for us today. It's good news. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why I say that every single Sunday. You could just say that. You could even explain, like I did, each of those key components. Giving someone knowledge of who Jesus is is not enough. Belief is necessary, and that's what leads to repentance. And joining a church is the response that an obedient Christian gives in baptism. Belief is first. Repentance is a result of that. And throughout Acts, we will see that baptism and belief are both tied to receiving the Spirit. And that's normative for Christians, excuse me, even today. Peter's petition has nothing to do with the tongues. His petition is that we should all believe and repent. Baptism doesn't bring forgiveness. Forgiveness, though, is linked with repentance through our faith. And in verse 39, Peter reminds the reader who this is about. It's God. God is the agent of salvation. It is the Lord who calls a people to himself. Belief is a gift of God. And repentance is also a gift of God, where the Father initiates our salvation, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation. And the Lord calls people to himself, and his people collectively respond. And Peter's message we see in verse 40 went on. He kept going. But Luke recounted and recorded this. He says, save yourself. And our role of saving ourselves is believing. We do have a responsibility for that. God's role is to call and give and offer the free gave grace to believe, to give us the gift to believe, but we still need to respond in belief. 
And that's where we draw this message to a close and we apply this text, I think, for all of us. We all need to believe and we all need to repent. Martin Luther said that the Christian life is a life of repentance. All of the Christian life is a matter of repentance. And so day by day, by faith and the power and the grace of God, friends, we must lead lives of repentance, forsaking our sin and drawing near to the throne of grace, to the cross, in submission to God's word. Those who believe, repent. And baptism reminds us of the fact that we were buried with Christ through faith, as Paul says in the book of Romans. And we were raised with Christ to a newness of life. The Lord's Supper, as we will celebrate, soon reminds us of his body given for us, his blood shed for us. These are visible reminders that God's people participate with consistently because we all tend to forget. We all tend to doubt. We all tend to think and talk to ourselves and talk us out of things. And we need God's word to remind us of these things because all Christians are called to believe and repent. And if you aren't a Christian, the charge is the same for you. Believe. Presented with the gospel, God's word is crying out to you that you are dead in your sins. Death comes for all. And God has been patient with you so that you might repent. He's been patient so that you can hear the gospel, to believe and repent like these folks in this text, like many of us in this room, that he died as the substitute for your sin, as a consequence for your sin. Jesus on the cross, because he must punish sin, because he is a holy, righteous judge. And Jesus was buried in a tomb, and unlike David, that tomb is empty today. Friends, he rose to give us a newness of life. He rose to give us a life that Adam and Eve had in the garden, that was lost in the fall, that he wants us to live. A life where sin no longer has dominion over us. Its power no longer controls us. And the wages of sin is death, but the eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God is calling you who aren't a Christian to believe and repent too. But if you don't believe, those prophecies of Joel, those things of destruction, the blood and fire, the sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood, that magnificent day for the Christian becomes a terrible day for the non-Christian. But belief is for all of us. Repentance is for all of us. And we get to help each other. We get to talk to each other. We get to encourage one another. We get to come alongside each other because we all struggle in our sin and our unbelief. And we get to say, let's do this together. Let's believe together. Let's repent together. Let me come alongside you to help you in this. And it's okay and safe here to acknowledge that, to ask questions. And baptism may be the next step for some of you. If you aren't baptized, this is a response to belief. It's a command to repent and to be baptized. To not be baptized is to be disobedient to the scriptures. More on that next week. 
And friends, we get to take this message to the world like Peter did. Where Peter, he speaks the language of those who are hearing. He understands what they value. He understands what they cherish. And he uses that to listen to their questions, to listen to their arguments. And he reminds them of what God's word says. He calls for a response in light of what he shares God's word says. He doesn't get distracted by the tongues. But he uses it as an opportunity to evangelize those who don't yet believe. And I think we can model that, church. And so as you go about your daily lives, listen. Ask questions. See what people care about and find ways in the scripture to point them to Jesus. That that's where our hope is. Where we speak the language of our area. We talk about things that people enjoy around here. Or things that we struggle with around here. And we interject the cure, the hope, the things that we see in the scripture to lead people and call them to faith and repentance themselves as we share the gospel with them, of how our lives don't align with Scripture, but Jesus aligns perfectly with Scripture in His life and ministry, and He becomes the substitute for our sins. And we can say, all you have to do is believe that He is substitute for you. Would you repent and believe yourself? Again, we see in the book of Acts that the Word of God is used by the Spirit of God to multiply the church of God. And 3,000 believed that day. There's not 3,000 people here. But people can believe even today. John 16, 14 said, Jesus said, the Spirit will glorify the Son. This passage is not about tongues. Peter says, what the Spirit is doing in this moment is to point all who are seeing and all who are hearing this to the Son so that we might collectively glorify Him. As revealed in the Word of God, we can follow Peter's example and boldly declare who Jesus is and what He's done to a lost and dying world around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this Word. God, we thank you for the work of your Son. When we were strangers and aliens, enemies, God, you sent him as a plan for the fullness of time to reconcile to yourself even people like us. You sent him to reconcile us and so, God, we ask that you would help us to believe. God, we ask that you'd help us to repent. God, we ask that you would help us to worship you for who you are and what you've done. Because you are abundantly gracious. You are absolutely sovereign. And you are the only object that deserves our worship. And so God, as we finish out our time, God, would you help us to sing loudly because of your abundant grace and mercy in our lives.
God, would you help us to reflect on the elements of the Lord's Supper where you call us to remember your body that would be given for us, to remember your blood that would be shed for us. God, we thank you for these reminders even on a day like today. God, would we worship you because of that. And God, would you help us to be a people who repents, who turns from our sins, who follow you, who give all that we have, all the effort that we can put together to live lives of repentance, not to earn anything, but because of what your son has earned for us. God, we, we want to be a people known for our belief and our repentance and worshiping you and being holy for you are holy and loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, we ask you as well that you would help us to have boldness like Peter to proclaim who you are and what you've done as we've proclaimed it to ourselves. God, would you help us to proclaim it to those who do not yet know you? trusting that it is through the preaching and sharing of the gospel that you, in your grace, by the Spirit, give people the ability to believe. Would you help us to be faithful to the call that you've given us as we do our role of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, even here in central Vermont? so that we might have a family that grows larger so that more and more people might love and worship you. Not so that we become a bigger church, but you just calling people to yourself and getting the glory that you deserve. So God, we ask that you would do that for the rest of our time this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.